my doctoral research currently is focused on uh, the theological implications of cognitive and social science. And the more we can understand how we work and the dynamics of how we relate to others, we elevate our capacity for mental, emotional, and relational health. Um, you wrote, the truth is that unhealed trauma will keep impacting us. We can't run from it. Our minds, our hearts, and our bodies weren't made for it. So we are consciously and unconsciously clawing our ways to relief and refuge. I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper there from your personal experience. Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Carson Fushi, Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Trip Hawthorne, Carla Mike Wick, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a special shout-out to our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Tony Collier. She is the founder of Broken Crayon Still Colors. Tony has authored several books, including Overcomer and a new book, Brave Enough to be Broken. She is also the host of the Still Colors podcast. Tony, thank you for joining the conversation. Yay, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's awesome to have you on. We're going to get to your organization and we're going to get to the book here in just a second, but what would you want people to know about you? Well, I think the first most important thing is I'm from Texas, you know, and everything is bigger and better in Texas. And that is the first thing you need to know. Um, No, but I am, yeah, originally from Houston, grew up in a blended family, went through some really, really hard and traumatic and dark experiences. Um, As a little girl, honestly, there was sexual abuse and manipulation in my past and uh, parentification. I took care of my mom a lot. I was a caregiver for her at just eight and 12 and 15 years old. And you know, unfortunately, what that led to was just a whole bunch of brokenness. I started numbing with drugs and alcohol and partying, all the things. And Jesus stole my heart at 21 and I gave my life to him, but was still struggling with sanctification. Um, Luckily, he's a God of infinite chances. And so on my journey to kind of becoming a follower of God instead of a fan of God, Um, I went through some really hard things, went through divorce. It was an abusive marriage and God just radically redeemed my story in so many ways, relationally, financially, but most important, of course, spiritually, and even mentally, I went on a healing journey. And now I'm just kind of telling people all around the world, like you can be broken, kind of crazy, imperfect, go through some really hard things and still be used by an incredible God. And so that's kind of my message. I'm like, 
let's go be broken, but still so worthy of God's glory and work. So yeah. All right, we're going to get to all that serious stuff in just a second, but I want to go back to something you said right there at the beginning, which is the continued um, amplification of Texas from Texans. What What is it about oh, that state? Man. Because, you know, we have so many friends of the podcast, so many of my friends that are clergy, uh, you know, just in general from Texas, right? And like no other state is as proud and yep. as braggadocious about that <laughs> lump of land as Texans. What, what is it? Is it is it like a like a class everybody's required to take in school? Well, 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 the sweet country of Texas. You know what I'm saying? That's all I want to put out there. Here's the deal. What's crazy is that when I remember in elementary, we did the like Pledge of Allegiance, all the things to, you know, American flag, all that. And then we turned to the other side of the room and pledged to the Texas flag. <laughs> and if, if I'm not, I, I think that almost any Texan would say that's when it started. That, that was the first seed planted right there. And I think it's just cultural, man. I think what's cool about Texas is there's so many different types of cities. It almost actually does feel like its own country because there's just so many different types of cultures and cities and rural and all the things. And then, yeah, it's just in us, man. We're just crazy. And I love it so much. It is what it is. It is what it is, you know? Well, what's the vision behind uh, Broken Crayon Still Color? Yeah, I think I'm. what I'm trying my best to do is not to give people permission to be wild, okay, <laughs> to be sinners because we are, but to be honest about the fact that we are imperfect and we are wired for struggle. Um, however, we're still worthy of love and belonging. You know, what's interesting is I was um, talking to my dad last night about this and he was just asking me like, you know, what do you actually do? <laughs> and I was like, well, dad, you should probably know what I actually do. And I was just saying, you know, I, I just think that we can be used and that when we dive into the Bible and God's word, we just see this incredible work that God is doing through incredibly broken people. We see him turn, you know, the apostle Paul from a Christian bully to a Christian advocate. Like we just see him do a great redemptive work. And I think I'm just trying to remind people of that somewhere along the way. I think our churches felt like only, you know, the <clears throat> saints, had the responsibility to carry the gospel. And I just think we can spread the gospel to the crevices of the earth if we're honest about God really using everybody, you know? How did it get started? So it was kind of crazy. Let me just say that. I was um, processing through a divorce. I was transitioning out of a really toxic and abusive marriage. And I was with my little girl. And uh, no one gets married to get divorced, you know? And so I was devastated. And... I was trying to just give my daughter some beauty, you know? I mean, she'd gone through a, the same season that we'd gone through of a broken marriage of, you know, shame and embarrassment, that something just so sacred and so holy not working out. And I was just trying to give her beauty. And so I got her the 64 box of crayons and I set her all up in the living room with a little canvas. And I'm like, color girl, you got this thing. Well, instead of coloring, as kids do, they just ruin things. You know what I'm saying? Um, they break things on purpose. They break things on accident. They break things on purpose, make it look like an accident. And so my daughter did all of that. And I came back in the room and she is literally surrounded around all these broken crayons. And she's just still coloring. Like she's just like nothing has happened at all. And I remember going to bed that night, just crying and weeping as I was cleaning up all these broken crayons. And I was like, this is my life. Like I'd had a really tough run. I had a, a bad experience in church with a spiritually abusive pastor. I, you know, just so many different things. And 
I remember that night scrolling down Instagram and I just rolled past this graphic. It was so crazy. Just such a, a sweet God wink. It just said broken crayon still color. And at the time I transitioned out of a church, but I was kind of wrapping up my ministry career as a youth pastor, as I thought. And I had to preach at this, this middle school for the fellowship of Christian athletes. And I remember just preaching to them that broken crayon still color. And it was one of the most authentic genuine messages I'd ever given because I was just so raw and so honest about where I was in my life. And it was from that moment that I said, man, I'm going to preach this to the mountains, but first I'm going to do my work. So I went through a healing journey and decided that I would start this organization, helping other people go through healing journeys and come out on the other side better for it. Well, let's shift over to the book. You have a new book, Brave Enough to Be Broken. You're inviting readers to learn how to embrace their pain and discover hope and healing. You wrote, I'm sorry that you've endured so much pain. In this world, we'll experience heartbreak. It's inevitable. That means most of us are walking around wounded, feeling the pain of being deeply broken human beings. Mm. What is brave enough to be broken? Mm. What's funny is before there was even a book, I would say that to myself all the time because I grew up again in a, you know, in a community, in a church that it was just like, hey, you got to be perfect to be used. And I've discovered along the way that really God will use you right in the middle of your mess. And the problem that I had was trying to show up and pretend to be perfect. I was hiding this abuse and toxicity at home in a marriage and standing on stages and acting like everything was fine. And the truth is we have seen ministers, leaders, pastors fall very hard. We've seen families crushed and ruined because of all of the things that they're hiding. And shame gets a hold of us and tells us that we have to hide all these broken parts or we won't be worthy of love. We won't be worthy of belonging anymore. And for some of us, there's some power that we're going to lose when we're honest about our brokenness and getting off stage and all the things. And so this mantra really is telling people that it just doesn't take a whole bunch of courage or bravery or grit to be perfect or to pretend to be perfect. It takes real bravery to say, I'm struggling with this addiction. There's these broken parts of our marriage. We need to sit down for a season and heal I just believe that God wants holy people for sure, but I think he also wants whole people as well. And so I'm just telling people, you got to be brave enough to be broken. You got to be brave enough to press into the pain. You got to be brave enough to look in your past and figure out what childhood wounds has manifested into adult wounds that need to be healed and sealed. And so that's what it is. That's what the book is all about, embracing pain and discovering hope and healing from that place. The last couple of years have been uh, collectively challenging for all of us. And if someone has an inclination towards anxiety and depression, this pandemic experience has amplified the opportunities to spiral into challenging mental and emotional stations. One of the most challenging aspects uh, of the worst parts of the pandemic was isolation. And yet, mm -hmm. um, even in normal times, which I don't know when we would ever call a normal time, you right. know, but uh, but a lot of people choose to experience uh, the pain and suffering and sorrow of hurt and anxiety and depression um, all alone. Um, what role does isolation play in these matters? Yeah, absolutely. I think it goes back to shame. I think that when we stay in isolated places, we don't have people to look us in the eye and say, I know everything about you. I know what you've been through. I know the pain that you've endured and maybe even the pain you caused. And I still love you the same. When we're isolated, we go into dark places because we don't have anyone to help us claw our way out. And 
I mean, it's such a scheme of the enemy. I mean, gosh, he's not that clever or creative, you know, but he was smart when he attacked people with shame. Because at the end of the day that, you know, we're guilty people, you know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. We're guilty people. We do guilty things. We sin. It is what it is. But guilt says that we've done something bad. Shame says that we are bad. Shame is an identity attacker. And I think that when we hide, when we stay in isolation, we lose the truth of our identity. People are, you know, as Ann Voskamp says, you know, Jesus with skin on. It, they help us to see the way that Jesus sees us, that the way that God has created us. And when we get out of isolation and we get around safe, secure people, they remind us that we are made in the image of God, that we are good, that there's goodness in us still, and that no one's going to leave the room. That we don't have to be alone because we don't have to be ashamed because even in our deepest, darkest moments, no one will leave the room. They'll stay there with us just as Jesus does. So I really do pray that anyone even hearing this in this moment would get out of isolation, get out of hiding. I'm not saying that from a place of condemnation. I'm saying it from a place of authority because I've been there. I hide when things get bad. I want God to be super proud of me just as I wanted my earthly father to be proud of me. And so I know what it feels like, but there's just so much glory on the outside of isolation. At the same time, uh, we can easily forego isolation for toxic community. You wrote, oh. as cliche as it sounds, you really do become who is around you. As I look at my life, I realized I was in a relationship with people who weren't healthy for me to be around. None of them were pointing me to healing and wholeness. Talk to us about how toxic community can affect our wounds and ongoing mental health challenges. Mm. Let me just say this, what an incredibly hard season it was to transition toxic community out and to try to find healthier community. I mean, finding friends as an adult is just embarrassing, okay? It is not fun. It is super weird and it is what it is. So let me just say that first and foremost, it is difficult to create community around you. However, Jesus modeled this because even Jesus had circles. He had the three disciples that he pulled in really close. He had the other disciples outside of that in a different circle, in a different level. And in his most intimate circle, he had God. I mean, it was just him and God in that deep, intimate circle. Sometimes our biggest problem is that we have community in place that's toxic. And if we don't transition them out, we won't have space for a healthy community to come in. So I always start with awareness when talking about toxic community, being aware of what you bring into the situation, what boundaries you need. One of the big boundaries that I have for me that I always express to my friends is that I've been verbally abused a whole bunch. My dad was verbally abusive when I was a little girl. My ex-husband was as well. And so verbal abuse is something I'm really sensitive to, especially as I'm healing. And so when I have friends that are really close to me, the people that are in my intimate circles, they really got to be mindful of the way they speak to me. I don't do the whole jokey call names type thing. I just don't do that. That's a boundary that I am aware of because of what I bring into the friendship. When we are cultivating and building new community, we have to know what we bring into it and what we need in return. And then I think a really big thing about transitioning toxic community out is recognizing red flags of control, of abuse, of all the things, and being able to identify those and have those really hard conversations. That was the hard part for me. I'm conflict averse. I would rather people please my way out. I don't want people to leave me if I have a hard conversation with them. Those are all things I had to get over and say, listen, 
if I want to be more like Jesus, then I need to surround myself with people that want to be more like Jesus. And so in the book, I talk about how to do that, how to have those hard conversations, how to transition people into these different spaces. And it's not about kicking people out. It's about transitioning people to a more safe place because you just cannot heal in the environment and with the people that broke you in the same, in the first place, you know? We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Christian Healthcare Ministries. Healthcare costs are on the rise, and inflation is tightening our budgets. With all the added stress, you might be wondering if you can overcome the challenges of choosing excellent healthcare while still looking out for your family. Christian Healthcare Ministries equips you to take charge of your healthcare. As health cost sharing ministry, CHM enables you to use your financial gifts to serve your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. In return, your eligible medical bills will be shared for in your time of need. It's that simple. With CHM, you can follow your biblical values, fit your budget, and fulfill the needs of your family. Bearing each other's burdens is just a start. Discover the longest serving biblical solution to your family's healthcare cost. To learn more, visit chministries.org. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. You know, our culture is, is quick to blame other people when sometimes we have um, to take our you know, responsibility for the mess we might have created in our life. Um, you wrote, and the truth is many of us become the toxic people we need saving from. Um, when we ignore our pain, we inevitably resist the healing we need. So where does all that pain funnel into? Bad behaviors, trauma leakage is how we respond to and interface with people. Take us a little deeper yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. The truth is, I mean, we take us with us. Like, we, you know, you take you with you. We we take ourselves into situations, relationships, organizations. And the best thing that we can do is try to be the most whole version of ourselves so that again, yeah, we don't become the toxic people that we need saving from. And oftentimes when we are in abusive situations, when we are in situations where we've been wronged, we carry some of that behavior into other situations. And so that's the most important part about healing. It's about saying, what's in my past? What have I been exposed to? What type of darkness has my heart had to endure? And going and figuring out how you can mend those places so that you don't perpetuate that behavior. The truth is, yes, I grew up with a really verbally abusive father and we've since redeemed our relationship in such a beautiful way. But what does that mean? Well, that means that if my father parented in verbally abusive ways, it was the way that I was modeled parenting. And so when I become a parent, when I have become a parent now to an eight-year-old little girl and a four-month-old little boy, I have to watch those things. I was taught that if you want your kids to do something, if you want them to obey them, to yell and scream and throw and do all the other things. Well, there's a better way to do that in love and honor and still have respect. 
But the only way that I'm going to access that if I go and heal the way that my neurons have actually wired together as it pertains to parenting. And we've got to do that. We we want to do that for our kids. We want to do that for our husbands and wives. We want to do that for the people that we get to impact, the churches that we get to lead, the communities that we get to steward. We want to be the best versions of ourselves. And the only way for us to do that is to go and do our work. My doctoral research currently is focused on uh, the theological implications of cognitive and social science. And the more we can understand how we work and the dynamics of how we relate to others, we elevate our capacity for mental, emotional, and relational health. Um, You wrote, the truth is that unhealed trauma will keep impacting us. We can't Mm -hmm. run from it. Our minds, our hearts, and our bodies weren't made for it. So we are consciously and unconsciously clawing our ways to relief and refuge. I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper there from your personal experience. Yeah. Whew. So this was, I mean, first of all, I'm still healing and I think I will forever still be healing. We don't just arrive at healing. Um, it's it's just a marathon as our ministries are a marathon. We don't ever really just fully arrive. Uh, for me, what that looked like is, well, first and foremost, I hopped into counseling and I'm African-American in our culture it is just frowned upon and it, it it feels like a weird thing to so many people. I remember when I first told my parents that I was going into counseling, that I wanted to start healing. My mom called me and was like, are you bipolar? Like, what is going on? And I'm like, no. Well, I was like, I actually, I don't know, but I, I need to go find out. I want to go figure out how to be a more whole version of myself. Well, I hopped into counseling and I went for two years every single week. And really, it was just the foundation. After those two years, I went through some trauma treatment. And it's for, for anyone that doesn't know, it, it's EMDR. It's eye desensitization rhythmic movement. And it's simply trauma treatment. It's going back and reconciling some of the things that were traumatic in your life. And, you know, we use traumatic as this big word, but truly all it is is a moment where you felt completely unsafe, out of control, and you had no way out. That can become a traumatic moment. Burger King, um, little ball pit can be a traumatic moment. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Getting stuck in one of those things. And so going back and reconciling some of those things has been just a huge part of my healing journey. And then I'm also in what's called a confessional community. Dr. Kurt Thompson is an incredible um, psychiatrist and leader in this space. He's also an incredible theologian. And he has formed these things called confessional communities. It's community of people who come together and confess continually. We meet every single month for three uh, hours and we meet in person every year. Um, And it's just a group of God-fearing women inviting the Holy Spirit to come and heal us from the inside out. So there's been tons. I mean, there's been marriage intensives. I've since been remarried, which has been such a hard journey for both of us with healing and remarriage. And we've been to marriage intensives. We have a marriage counselor. We have individual counseling. There are seasons that I do counseling every two weeks. There are some every month. There are some seasons like right now with launching a book where I want to live a life on the offense, not the defense. And I know that I'm pouring out a whole bunch. I meet every week with my counselor. And so it's just an ongoing lifelong experience of healing that's just been really, really beautiful and that I encourage anybody and everybody to go through. In the book, uh, you talk a lot about healing. I wonder if you might define what you mean by healing. Absolutely. 
So I think that we can heal in so many different ways. I think we can heal physically. So for some of us, we have ailments in our body. We have diseases in our body and we want to heal. So we go to the doctor, right? Um, we go to the doctor for prescription. We go to the doctor for physical therapy. For some of us, it's just about losing weight. It's about getting to a healthier weight. And so we go and we find a trainer and we we go to the gym. Uh, for many of us, uh, we are working on healing our relationship with God, healing our faith because of what we've been taught um, growing up in the church. And so what does that look like? Well, finding a healthy church community, finding a healthy pastor and healthy small groups and diving into the word and going to God and getting replenished spiritually. Well, when it comes to our emotions and our um, mental capacity and our mental illness, if that if anyone has one. We go to counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, and we go and heal those parts of our mind. Um, the, the best way to describe it too is, you know, our brains have this neural network. They're kind of like little bridges. And since we were little boys and girls, our brain has been making bridges and connections, uh, neurons in our brain that wire together, they fire together. And so if there's a way that your brain has processed something, that's the way that it responds. That's the way that it acts. Well, there's some ways that our brain acts and reacts that aren't good. And so going to counseling and going through Healing in that way is all about rewiring our neurons. How can we create healthy patterns in our brain so that when we get upset, we react in a kind way? This goes back to, you know, pointing to um, the Bible and how God wants us to act. Well, if we want to, you know, encompass and embody the fruit of the spirit, we've got to be able to respond in those ways. We all know those people that are incredibly holy, but they're mean, right? Right. They're, they're just rude and they're responding out of anger in so many ways. Well, sometimes that's not about personality, but it's about the way that our neurons have wired together. And it's about us going to sit in a counseling office and figuring out why, we respond that way so that we can be more like Jesus. That's what I mean by healing. Also in the book, you talk a lot about hope. Um, you know, that's, it's obviously a word that is is critical and central to the Christian message. Um, I guess not only how do you define hope, but how have you experienced hope through um, this mental health journey that you've been on? Yeah, I think, one of the best ways to um, for me to describe it is just through personal experience. When I got remarried um, and even started dating uh, my husband, Sam, I uh, every time he would say, um, Tony, like, you know, the way you said that really kind of hurt my feelings, I would just implode. I would get all sweaty. I would start getting anxiety. I would, I would just deny it. I'm like, no, I would never speak to you that way. I can't believe you would say that. Are you going to leave me? Like, I mean, it was a whole debacle and that made me really hopeless. It made me hopeless that I would ever really be able to love another human again, that I would ever be able to respond in kindness, that I would ever be able to find humility, even just to say, oh, I'm so sorry that, you know, I spoke to you in that way. I didn't mean it that way. This is what I meant, but I apologize that it came off that way. I was super hopeless in that area. I remember when I started the healing journey and I started to meet with my counselor, which I have a Christian, we have Christian counselors and started to just ask her like, how, how do I just become someone that isn't so afraid of abandonment that I wouldn't be able to even apologize? And she brought me on this healing journey and taught me about some of the insecurities I had, some of the fears of abandonment and rejection and betrayal that I had on the inside of me. And when I started to heal those parts, 
I remember being able to have a conversation about conflict with my husband and not yelling and not being afraid that he would leave me, but handling it with grace and humility. And that made me more hopeful. I just think hope is our ability to believe that it can get better, that that even though it seems dark right now, and maybe we even need to be in a valley for a little while, that even though all that is true, that it can get better. And our marriage has gotten better and I've gotten better. And I think that's where hope comes into my story, at least. You know, we talk about toxic community. We talked about the toxicity of um, sometimes ourselves within uh, healing. Uh, But I wonder if you might talk to us about what healthy community can do as we are uh, working through the challenges we face uh, externally and internally. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I talk about in the book, uh, I have a chapter on community. I also have a chapter on counseling. And in counseling, I talk about how important it is to have an accountability person that will allow us to, you know, stay on a healing journey. I mean, the truth is healing is not linear and it's extremely painful. And so sometimes we need a person that's in our lives that can, can remind us that that it's okay, that it's hard and to be with us in the valleys and to represent Jesus for us in the the tangible earthly space. Sometimes we need people to correct us if we're honest in love and say, hey, you know, I, I know these things about your story and I just noticed this. It may not be nothing at all, but I just wanted to bring it up because I, I want to be the type of community that points you back to Jesus always. And so I'm just checking in on you. I have friends that text me and I text them on a scale from one to 10. How are you doing? I have friends that ask me, how's your heart? You know, as we're leaders and pastors and ministers and we travel around the world, people ask us, how's your ministry? How's your vocation? How's your church? How's your organization? Is it growing? How's it doing? How's offering all the things? But we need people in our life that can say, okay, that's great. I, I would love to hear about all that. But how's your heart? Where are you at? How are you feeling towards God? How is your relationship with God right now? Are you distant? How are you feeling? And what can I do to bring you closer to Jesus? What can I do to remind you that you've got a savior and he's coming for you and he's not leaving the room and he's with you? So yeah, I think that's what community can do for you. As you step back from your experience, uh, your work in this area, and now the book you've written, how do you think your theology has changed or broadened as a result of this? Oh, that's great. Well, first and foremost, I wrote the book while finishing up seminary, which was a mistake, right? Okay. Um, But got my master's in biblical and theological studies from Denver Seminary. And what's great is that I, we were under the leadership of Andy Stanley for years and years. He's one of our mentors. We love him and Sandra very much. And one of the things that he's always pushed us to is to go to seminary, is to go deep, not wide. And I think that that's what's happened with my theology. It's just gotten deeper. It's got more legs to it. It's it's not so flaky. It's It doesn't have a lot of curiosity in the way that points to doubt. It's curiosity in the way that points to redemption and freedom and more understanding and closeness with God. I think when I first got saved, I was a fan of God, not a follower. Really surface level. I went wide on everything and deep on nothing. And I think now in this season, when you go through some hard things, when you go through valleys, and then when you heal and experience hope, the belief that it will get better, you just take God out of these boxes. You, He gets bigger. The reality that he 
is all things to all men and and he can heal and redeem anything i mean that that creates a bigger god a god that doesn't fit in all of our boxes and all of our ways it makes you you know really step back and and think man like i think when we get to heaven everybody's going to be wrong about something and that's okay you know and so i i just am excited i think even more about my faith i'm excited even more about telling people how big god is how great he is and how deep we can really go in relationship with him the church has come a long way in its understanding and embrace of, of mental health i mean unfortunately i think for too long maybe we lack the wisdom but also lack the capacity to see mental health struggles beyond sometimes our simple theological platitudes that we want to give people you know so i wonder how is your church advocating for mental health and what are some of the resources you would point other church leaders to around these conversations absolutely so first and foremost our church is really big on it we actually um, do little things. So the little things would be like for our merchandise, instead of having, you know, just merchandise that says story church, which is our church here in Atlanta. Um, we have merchandise that says like therapy is dope. Like go to therapy. We, I mean, we wear it from stage and people are just like, wow, they're really pushing this therapy thing. Absolutely. So that's really big on the bigger scale. We also partner with a um, counseling group here in Atlanta that we point our staff to, that we point just even marriages to when they're struggling in the church. Um, and then we've also partnered with Chick-fil-A's Windshape. Um, it's been such an incredible resource for us. Every single year we go to some two, two events at Windshape with Chick-fil-A. One's called the Mental Health Collective and the other one's called the Marital Marriage Health Collective. And... Um, we go there because we want to connect. It's it's essentially a gathering of mental health professionals, professors, psychiatrists, psychiatrists, and pastors. And we come together and we sit with them in groups and we learn about language. You know, even pastors in the room are still figuring out that there's a difference between mental health and mental illness. Oftentimes as clergy, we can speak into mental health. Like, we want to be healthy, like just like we can speak into physical health and emotional health and spiritual health. We can speak into that. When it comes to mental illness, however, when people actually are diagnosed with things or need a diagnosis, then we have to bring in the professionals. It's about us saying we can be confident enough to know that we are called to this work as pastors and ministers, but also humble enough to know that we can call on professionals. We can partner with other people who have been skilled in this, who have gone to school for this to help us um, bring healing and wholeness to some of our uh, community members, our members in the church. And so those are some of the things that we lean into, but we do not shy away from it. We are talking about it. We're putting it at the forefront and we're putting the professionals in the places that they need to be so that people can access them. How do you imagine churches using your book? Oh man, in so many ways. So I would say the first thing is it's kind of what you've already said. You know, I think that people need an on-ramp to even realizing that they need healing, right? That they need more hope, that it's okay to have a faith that is unwavering and also admit your weaknesses. And um, I think that for anyone in the church that is excited about becoming a more whole person, becoming a person who has control over their emotions and the way that they think and process information. If they just need a step one, an on-ramp to even realizing, okay, I actually may need this. That's what the book is for. 
it's a guide. I, I say this all the time. This book isn't about my story. I could tell my story all day. I've told it on stages. It's great. This is about healing your story, the reader's story. And so it is really a guide, a manual to point you to a healing journey, a lifelong healing journey. Our guest is Tony Collier. The book is Brave Enough to be Broken. You can stay connected with Tony by visiting TonyJCollier.com. Tony, it's been a joy talking with you. Thank you for reminding us that with the power of Jesus, we are stronger than our brokenness. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Super grateful. Before we wrap up, we need to tell you about one more of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Are you looking for a Bible study resource for your church? Responding to an invitation from the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Virginia, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky has produced Bible study resources that is available for free of charge. The study title, Faithful Curiosity, Five-Week Study of Luke and Acts, deals with three passages from Luke and two passages from Acts. It offers Bible study methods and provides two interpretive essays for each passage. The writers are BSK faculty, staff, students, and alumni. Download this resource for free today at bsk.edu backslash faithful. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.